0: You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected.
1: And thank you for making it possible for us to serve in the most wonderful place on planet Earth, and I know a lot of the kids today, you have that, you have that picture that Pastor Rachel gave you, so you can, you can draw in Africa, and, and you can draw in the places where we live, but did you know that this morning, in Africa, there are 83,000 local Assembly of God churches worshiping Jesus? Did you know that 83,000 local churches worshiping Jesus, thousand. These local churches declare the gospel, make disciples, they send church planters, they meet the needs of their communities, they love the lost, they care for the suffering, they serve as powerful societal change engines in their villages and in their towns. And those local churches send every... We have 20 right now. Those local churches have sent to our Bible schools 23,000 women and men today studying in ministry. Twenty. I mean, 23,000 in 382 Bible training centers that the Assemblies of God, not the American Assemblies of God, but the Assemblies of God in Africa, owns and operates It is mind boggling what Jesus is doing in Africa. And yet, today, there's still 867 unreached people groups. Today, there are nearly 200 million people with no access to the gospel. I mean, how is that even possible? So the Assemblies of God in Africa, the African Assemblies of God, the American Assemblies of God, we have a vision that we share together. And that vision is a powerful Assembly of God church within walking distance of every person on the continent. And we all work together for that goal. We all work together to see that fulfilled. Everyone on our teams and everybody in the churches working towards that goal. And in our family, our role this time is training. We're being sent to West Africa to equip the leaders of the leaders, the trainers. The picture that you see right now, that man took a church from 12 people to 16,000 in about 10 years. One of the leaders in our Bible schools, training men and women for ministry in Africa because Trained leaders truly are the hope of Africa. Trina will be involved with the women on the continent. The lady whose picture you're seeing now is a Muslim background believer. She leads the Tanzania who's got Women's Ministry, which is comprised of over 500,000 women. And recently, when she was asked to lead that for the entire continent, she said, I can't do it without my friend Trina Pennington. So that will be Trina's role from West Africa, helping to lead these women in reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have a part to play, too. You have a part to play, too. You're on the team. Together, we'll work with the African churches. We'll work with the missionaries. We'll work with you so that together we can see a powerful assembly of God church within walking distance of every person on the continent. And you might say, well, how do we do that? You pray. You pray. Please take one of our prayers. Pray. Pray for your missionaries. Pray for the national church. Pray for the lost on the continent. You give. What you give helps us to get to the field and helps us not just to get there but to stay there, to live there. And you go, and my prayer is today that Jesus will call some of you to join us, to be a part of our team. Now, if you if you don't mind, I am a preaching missionary. I love the Bible, I love the Word. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Now you might have it on your you might have it on your phone, you might have it on an iPad or, or something like that. I'm 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 kind of old, so I like the OGV, the Old Guy version. Um, that's, what I, that's what I have. It's, it's in the Gospel of Mark. If you can't quite find it, it's on page 1,137. And while you're turning, let me also say greetings and welcome to the folks that are online. We are so grateful that you joined us today. We're in Mark chapter 2, and I'll read from verse number 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, Your sins are forgiven. Matthios Kasai was one of my students at the Addis Ababa Bible College in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, say that ten times fast. Matty, as we called him, invited me to come preach at his church where he was pastoring in Shinshicho, Ethiopia. And so we piled into the car, our speed the light vehicle. Pastor Doug has been in that speed the light vehicle. We piled into that car. We took a bunch of famous Ethiopian singers and a bunch of famous Ethiopian preachers and then I was the driver and we drove from Addis Ababa to Shinchicho, Ethiopia. And every day for about 5 days, we had 10 to 15,000 people, 10 to 15,000 people gather in a cow pasture right next to the Assembly of God church. They built a little platform And so we worshiped and we praised Jesus. And those people were literally jammed into this cow pasture. And so they were kind of standing like this. But that didn't stop them from praising Jesus and worshiping and jumping up and down, dust flinging in the air. It was awesome. And one day as I got ready to preach, I stepped up to the podium. And Matthew walks up and he he places his hand on my Bible. And I look over to the side and Matthew says, Brother Steve, wait for just a moment. I said, okay, Matty, what's up? And he said, he said there's a disturbance in the back left side of the crowd. So we stopped, the dust was still settling, and we began to look to the back left side of the crowd and he was he was right there was there was a disturbance in the far back left side of the crowd and and the disturbance kind of started to make its way forward and after a little while we could see that it looked like there was a man who was who was on who was like on top of the crowd, moving on top of the kind of like he was, uh, what's that called, crowd surfing? Thank you, crowd surfing. Kind of crowd surfing, on, but but he wasn't moving. And as I mean, other than this way, he wasn't moving physically. He was coming this way. And as he was coming this way, but physically not moving... It it was a strange thing to see indeed, but I began to wonder what in the world is going on until the front row intuitively split apart and the man came through the middle of where where that row is and I realized that he was being carried by four guys. I hadn't seen the guys earlier. It's because he was on top of a bed. Each one of them had taken the corner of this bed, a bed which was made with wooden poles and long leather straps, and they'd put their friend on top and they brought him to the meeting so that Jesus would heal him because he had been in this condition for three months. For three months, he couldn't, he could barely wake up. He was out, he was out cold. He was, he was fevered. He was uh, laborious breathing. And they brought him to the front. They were soaked with sweat. They were, they were heaving just trying to breathe. They made their way to the platform. They set him down right in front of me. And then they got on their faces and they began to pray on the platform. Now, I'm I'm a, I'm a missionary. I'm not like some faith healer or something. So I'm thinking, well, what do, what do we do? So I thought, well, I, I know what to do. I'm, I pray. So so I got on my knees right beside him. And an Ethiopian evangelist came and got on the other side. And we both just began to pray. And as I touched him, his body was just burning up with fever. and And he could barely breathe. I could just hear him just trying to breathe. It was painful, and I was, I was praying for him and asking Jesus to heal him and touch him, and after just a few moments, I felt in my spirit it was time to stop praying. I thought that was odd, but I stopped, and I looked up, and the Ethiopian evangelist stopped, and he looked up at the exact same moment, and we both stood up and stood back from the man who's on the mat. The Ethiopian evangelist walked back over here and took a seat on the platform, The four friends heard us stop praying, and so they, with curiosity and hope, they they quickly jumped up and looked around, and they saw that their friend was still on the mat. They looked at me with incredible disappointment, picked him up, each one taking a corner. They walked down off the platform. The front row split apart, and I watched as those four men took their friend, pushing and cajoling, shoving through that crowd. I watched all the way as they walked through the crowd, making their way through, and finally, out the back and down the road of Shinshicho, Ethiopia. When I was in Bible college, my teachers used to tell me that the key verse in the gospel of Mark is, is chapter 10, verse 45, where Jesus says, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, I I don't personally believe that that is the most critical verse in the gospel of Mark, but I do believe it is a critical verse in the gospel of Mark. I've come to believe that the most critical verse in the gospel of Mark is actually found in chapter 4 and verse 41, where Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. A storm comes up. Jesus stands up, and with his word, he calms the storm, and the disciples, terrified, look at one another, and they say, Who is this? In fact... Every story in Mark flows through and out of that primary question, that one question, who is Jesus Christ? The feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, if you scratch down and try to find their meaning, the meaning has to do with that single question. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus walking on water or casting out demons or healings or miracles. Everything in the gospel of Mark points back to a single question, a single idea, who is Jesus? Jesus Christ. In fact, even Mark 10.45 means nothing until we begin to understand who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is just some teacher, if he's just some prophet or some philosopher, then his death might be inspiring, but it's not vicarious. In other words, it has no power to change you. It has no power to save you if Jesus is just some good guy. Every story, every episode, every meeting, every discussion leads back to that one paramount question. Who is Jesus Christ? And even in this story, as we read the story, people tend to focus, they gravitate to certain aspects of the narrative. They'll gravitate to the four friends or the paralytic or the religious leaders or the crowd. And we often forget the most critical person in the entirety of the story. Who is Jesus? Jesus Mark begins the story by telling us that Jesus had come home it wasn't actually his home it was most likely the home of Peter and Andrew and it served as his base of operations at Capernaum he said that the house he was teaching in the house and I can see the house in my mind's eye it was crowded as Jesus was seated seated in front of the crowd and there were people surrounding him people in the doorway people hanging in the windows people all around in the compound up the road and down the road people crowding to hear Jesus And Mark says, and Jesus preached the word to them. And suddenly, without warning, right in the middle of Jesus preaching, pieces of the ceiling just start dropping. They start falling all around him. And Mark Mark doesn't say that Jesus got up and moved, so he just sat there while all of this was going on. Now, as Americans, we have a bit of a problem in that we project our surroundings back into from the 21st century America back into 1st century Israel, and we think, well, maybe it was a room like this. Maybe it was a room that was sterilized and hermetically sealed, and maybe it was a room that was pristine and beautiful, and there was social distancing and clean hands and clean hearts, I hope. But it wasn't like that. It was chaos. It was pandemonium. And this, the, the, the roofs of a first-century home were, were built with were most likely flat, and it had long wooden beams, and then there was thatch, and then there was mud. And often, in, which they still do in Africa, they mix cow poop in it, because cow poop, when it hardens, I mean, it's kind of mushy, but when it hardens, it's like a rock. And so they had this stuff there digging through it, and digging through that creates a crazy mess. Imagine for just a moment there was first the noise of scratching then digging, and then pounding, and then breaking, interrupting Jesus' teaching. Finally, he just stops and watches because there's, there's a first, there's a, a thin shaft of light that comes from the ceiling, and then there's an eye squinting through that little hole that's been made, and then they, they enlarge that hole again, and they enlarge it again until a mat appears, and they put the mat in. It's uneasy. It's unsteady. They're shouting at each other. They're negotiating. They're lowering it a little bit at a time, yelling, navigating. Jesus just sitting there. It was a chaotic process. And if they drop this guy right in front of Jesus, which is what Mark tells us, that means as they literally, literally dug through the ceiling, that's the word that's used, literally dug through the ceiling, then debris had to be falling all over Jesus. (laughs) And I imagine Jesus just sitting and waiting. What do you think his facial expression was? I mean, come on, it's okay to think. What do you think his facial expression was? Do you think he was... You think he was sour? You think he was angry? You think he was curious? I see in my mind's eye, I see Jesus laughing. I see Jesus. I see Jesus loving the moment. I see him grinning wildly, anticipating their victory, whatever that looked like. And then what about the guy on the mat? You imagine being him. Now, the Bible tells us that he was paralyzed. He wasn't vegetated, so he could use his arms. So he's, he's in on this. And so when they let him down, you know, he's, he's got to be holding on with everything because he doesn't want to fall and make things worse. So he's holding on with everything he's got. And as they're moving him around and negotiating, he's probably craning his neck this way, craning his neck this way. He's balancing this way, balancing this way. And then all of a sudden, as he's craning his neck around, he's suddenly eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ. Man, what do you do with that? Can you imagine that? What do you think had to be going through his mind? Did he like gulp? Did he he just kind of smile sheepishly? What did he do? It was awesome. But have you ever noticed Mark never tells us his name? Now that's important. Because a name describes you. A name describes speaks into you a name challenges you a name discourages you a name can shape you a name can call you to weakness or your name can call you to greatness your name can define you what was his name because at this point his mat defines him and what about his friends wow you have friends like that i do Friends that would do anything for you. Friends that would take a bullet for you. Friends that would move heaven and earth to get you into the presence of Jesus. Mark says Jesus saw their faith. What does faith look like? Faith looks like four sweaty Willing to do anything for you friends Moving everything Digging through any barrier To get you an audience With the one person on earth That could restore you That's what faith looks like Faith must be seen If you have saving faith You have to do something with it Jesus sees their faith He sees their bold Intrusive unrelenting action To get their friend Into his presence What is your faith doing? Faith moves. Faith acts. Faith is an action. It's active. It's not passive. Faith does something. And in that room that day, you could just feel the anticipation. There was the clamor and then the shock and then the deafening silence as everybody strained to see what would Jesus do with the man on the mat. All eyes were locked on him in silenced anticipation. And then Jesus speaks. And he says to the man on the mat, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, right about there, the really spiritual among us would say, Wow, praise Jesus. That's awesome. But the rest of us normal people, we're thinking, What? What do you mean your sins are forgiven? Did you not see the map? I mean, it kind of just dropped right down in front of you. How, how, why would you say that his sins are forgiven when his real need is so painfully obvious? Okay, now, now let's just be fair. We don't have any recording that the guy asked Jesus for healing. But it, it does, it, am I right? It seems kind of obvious that that's what he was asking for, right? But you have to remember the paramount question of the text. Who is Jesus christ that question will drive your understanding of the narrative who is jesus christ because when jesus made that pronouncement your sins are forgiven he captured the mind-bogglingly destructive diminishing nature of sin all sickness is a product of sin there's an intrinsic connection between sin and sickness Now, it does not mean that that guy sinned and God struck him down and God cursed him, although a lot of people probably believe that of that guy. It doesn't mean that. What it means is, is that Jesus sees the moment to clarify that sin diminishes. Sin torments. Sin destroys. Sin kills. And there's no way of escaping sin. There's no way of escaping the results of sin apart from Jesus Christ. Your sickness will not separate you from God, but sin will. The real human issue is sin. It's sin that keeps us from being everything that we're created to be. It's sin that keeps us from having that relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who made us and ultimately loves us. And can you imagine Jesus in that moment just smiling at this man, loving him, And then he says, son. That little three-letter word has so much more gravity in my life than it did even six months ago. Son. It's a term of inclusion. It's a term of intimacy. It's a term of identification. It's a term of definition. In other words, it's his new name. Jesus is communicating to this guy, you are more than this mat. You are more than this sickness. You are more than the sin that's held you captive. You are now mine. The shame, the separation, the paralysis of sin in one moment with one word from Jesus was gone. Son, you belong to me. Excuse me while I get excited up here. But how can that be true? It's true because Jesus said to him, Your son, your sins are forgiven. He cut right to the most critical need the man had and the most critical need we all have. We all have it. The forgiveness of our sin. Now there's an Old Testament idea right here I want to introduce you to that's pretty critical to understand this text. And that's what's called a speech act. Can you say that with me? Yeah, it's on the board. Speech act. A speech act means this. It's from the Old Covenant. It means when God speaks or when God commands, there's power to do in his words what he has commanded. So, for example, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was When Jesus speaks, there is power in his words to do what he has commanded. One word from Jesus will change your life forever son your sins are forgiven not will be not could be might not might be not should be they are forgiven your sins are gone and from that moment his history his identity his trajectory in one moment with one word from jesus changed forever hallelujah and then at this point in the story. Mark introduces this to some other people in the room, the teachers of the law. Now, these guys had dedicated their entire life to understanding the law of Moses and to interpreting it and applying it to the very minutia of life in Israel. And they were there to see if Jesus was a false prophet. And when Jesus forgave the man's sins, they thought to themselves, this is what the Bible says, they thought to themselves, what is he saying? He's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. And they're partially right. Only God can forgive sin. Remarkably, they didn't actually say that Jesus was blaspheming. They thought that he was blaspheming. One scholar says it this way. It's a beautiful touch of irony that they are thinking this guy is pretending to be God. And Jesus does something that demonstrates he is God. He knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? And they're both impossible. And then the key idea, in this is right here, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins talking directly to the teachers of the law, who constantly questioned him as to his authority, constantly asking, where did you get this authority from? Where do you get this power from? Because they knew. They knew that the authority to forgive sin is a definitive characteristic of Jehovah in the Old Testament. They knew that. They knew that only God can forgive sin. And if Jesus truly has the authority to forgive sins, then Jesus Christ is who is Jesus Christ. And then Jesus turns back to the man on the mat and he says, I tell you, specifically, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Wow. And that was the most critical moment in that man's life. And it was also the most critical moment in that room. And it's also the most critical moment here. What do you do when you understand who Jesus Christ is? His response to that command demonstrated who he believed who Jesus was. Who is Jesus Christ? And what will you do with that? How do you respond to that? It's the most critical question in the world. That question shapes everything in your life. That question shapes your past, it shapes your present, it shapes your future. How do you respond to that question? How do you respond to the question, who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Every person in that room that day had to answer that question. But at that moment, Jesus looked at the man on the mat and he said, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Not a moment's hesitation, the man jumped up took his mat, he walked out, and Mark adds, in full view of all of them, and the place erupted in praise and worship and wonder, speech act, in Jesus' words is the power to do what he has commanded, one word from Jesus can change your life forever, one word, who is Jesus Christ, now right about now, many of you are thinking, what does this have to do with missions? I know you're thinking, you're thinking, this guy's even wearing a weird looking shirt from Africa. But what what does this message have? It has everything to do with missions. It has everything to do with it. We do what we do because of who he is. We do what we do because of who Jesus is. Missions is not a mere response to human need. Missions is not a mere response to human sin. It's not a byproduct of social love or even compassion. Mission is the response of the church of Jesus Christ to who Jesus is is it's the outflow of jesus love to the nations he loves all men all women all boys all girls and he wants them all 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 to have the opportunity to know him because of who jesus is we're driven to take the gospel to the nations that's why we do what we do i don't know a missionary that feels like a hero thank you Not a single one of us. We're just compelled. I mean, if you know Jesus, you have to do something, right? Am I right? If you know him, you have to do something. And I I imagine the church is a little bit like those four friends. We each take a corner. I got mine, you got yours. We each take a corner and we cover whatever distance. We push through every obstacle. We dig through seemingly impossible barriers to get our friends into the presence of Jesus because it's only in His presence is there salvation and healing and wholeness and eternal life. And that's the nature of the church, unrelenting, bold, intrusive, unstoppable because we know Jesus. And we want the nations to know Jesus too. Imagine your life without Jesus. And then think of those people around you and around the world that have never one time had the opportunity to hear. Who is Jesus Christ? And how do you respond to that? It was the last night of the meetings in Shinshicho, Fifteen thousand people been jumping up and down, worshiping Jesus. It was hot. There was dust everywhere. It was awesome. Things were still a little pandemic on. I mean, a little uh, crazy on the on the on the stage. And I stepped up to, to to start the to start the message. And as I stepped up to start the message again, Matthew walked up beside me, and he put his hand on my Bible. And I said, Matthew, you okay? And he said, Brother Steve, you have to wait just a moment. I said, well, why do I need to wait just a moment, buddy? And he said, because there's a problem in the back left side of the crowd. I said, dude, what is wrong with those people in the back left side of this crowd? He said, I don't know. Maybe demons. I don't know. So we didn't know. So we, we walked over to the side, and we stood in the same place where we had stood just a few days before. And we watched the crowd. It was kind of hard to see dust. As we're looking through the crowd, Again, we began to see something moving our direction. Now, this time it was a little there was a little more clamoring. It was a little noisier, so honestly, it made us a little bit nervous. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what was going on, but it, but it, it seemed to it seemed to reverberate. So it would it would start there, and as it moved closer to us, we could see something moving to us, but we didn't know what it was. People were moving out of the way of something as it moved toward us. We just, it was like concentric circles moving off of that center, like it was, like you know, kind of, and it, but it wasn't, after a while we realized it wasn't, it was disruptive, but it wasn't dangerous. After a while we realized that what we were hearing, the clamor, was praise. And Matthew and I looked at each other wondering what in the world is going on? And as, as that movement got closer to us again, that front row just intuitively split apart And out of the crowd walked five men. I immediately recognized the four men in the back as the ones who had been carrying the bed. I didn't immediately recognize the guy in the front who was leading them. Because the last time I saw him, he was out cold. He was burning with a fever. He was having labored breathing. And this time... His eyes were wide open. He had a smile stretched across his face. His arms were in the air, and he was yelling out, Jesus Getano! Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And when he stepped to the front, as he did, people realized what was happening in the place. Just 15,000 Ethiopians erupted in praise and worship to Jesus. Who is Jesus Would you bow with me for a moment of prayer? Those online, please bow your heads with us too. We're just going to pray for just a few moments. I I want those of you, I want everybody within the sound of my voice, whether in this room or online, to think of that question Who is Jesus Christ? It's the most important question in your life. And I want you to look at it from every angle. Think it through. Pray it through. Take a moment and think about every angle of that. And I know that those of you who know Jesus, right now you're thinking, who is Jesus Christ? I know him. He's the one who refused to give up on me. He's the one who healed me. He's the one who brought me to my senses and cleaned me up, and now my marriage is working. He's the one who gives me strength to work. He's the one who gives me the capacity to love. He's the one who forgave me, and now I can forgive. Who's Jesus Christ? I know Jesus Christ. He's my my Savior. He's my healer. He's my friend. He's my comforter. Who is Jesus? I know Him. But there are some here and some watching online And as I ask that question, you have no answer. You're just not certain. But there's something happening in your heart right now. And you're saying, I I don't really know the answer to that. But I desperately want to. I desperately want to know Jesus like that. I want to know Jesus like the Bible talks about him. And what's happening to you right now is that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear. And he's also giving you the capacity to change. Right now. Right now. And if I'm describing you, all you have to do is respond to that. That's it. That's it. You don't have to say 5,000 prayers. You don't have to crawl on your knees. You don't have to give a million bucks. All you have to do is believe just respond. Jesus has done the work. He calls for your response. And right now, wherever you are in this room or online, say it, say it with your mouth. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. Right now, where you are, tell Jesus, Lord Jesus, I want you to take my life. Take my life. You don't have to clean it up. He'll take care of that for you. Just give it to him as you are. Jesus, take my life. The good, the bad, and the ugly, I'm yours. I give it to you. Everything that I am, everything that I was, and everything I will ever be, I belong to you. Just take a moment and say that to him. Father, in the name of Jesus, in this room and online, I know there are people who are believing in you for the first time. I know it. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would just seal that work in their hearts. I pray where there's anger, there would be be joy. Where there's fear, there would be faith. Where there's discouragement, there would be peace. Where there's despair, there There would be hope where there's guilt. There would be healing. Jesus, Jesus, do it again, I pray. Father, I pray, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your blessing would rest on those that hear this today. And that in their hearts, it would bring forth fruit. That they would know you. And that they would make you known. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And if you made a decision today, Pastor Ben's going to come and tell you right now how to follow up. But if you made a decision for Christ today, whether you're here in the room or you're online, do not leave. Until you contact a pastor, do not leave until you've connected with a, with a pastor, with an elder, with someone, and told them, to, I, I've accepted Jesus in my life. What do I do now, Pastor Ben?
0: Awesome. Aren't you grateful for missionaries like this that we get to support? Awesome. Thank you for that message. And what Pastor what uh pastor steve was just saying is that yes we have resources uh if you are online and have made a connection or made a decision for the lord please reach out make yourself known and if you're here uh or in our overflow make sure you connect with us at our connection center and we have resources for you to follow up real quick pastor steve i would you tell us uh from your perspective the importance of water baptism as a follow-up to following jesus water baptism
1: is critical it does not save you that's critical to understand water doesn't save you you're only saved by the blood of jesus that's it but what it does is it confirms to other people what jesus has done in your life we worked with muslims for a long time in africa when we first got there and i can tell you that up until that point, usually Muslim people, they don't. it's okay to think about Jesus, it's okay to consider Jesus, because they consider him a prophet. But when people believed in Jesus, they kind of saw them as an anomaly. The moment they were baptized in water, they realized that they were believers in Jesus Christ. Because that set them apart, and it declared to everybody they knew, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I make this public declaration, I'm not ashamed to do it, and I know he's not ashamed to call me his own thought.
0: It's awesome. And next week, we've got a class after second service that will explore that even further. We want those of you that have never walked in that and never been baptized uh, to join us. And so please, 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 uh, let's go ahead and stand. And this will give you an opportunity to go ahead and put your masks back on. And we just want to be smart as we exit here in a moment. Uh, and we want, it's kind of a crazy season, but we're, we will dismiss from the back to the front. And so be patient with us during that. But I want to pray a blessing over you uh, today. Lord, we thank you that as we've been here, we've heard this incredible word. As we've wrestled with this question, who is Jesus? And Lord, we've decided many to follow you. And Lord, I pray that you would just let that bubble up. And Lord, now as we go, as we've been preaching in our End Time series, Lord, the time is now. Lord, the Great Commission is still in effect. And God, I pray that we would let our voice be heard this week as we go. And as we do that, and as we lift our voice and we share your good news, I pray that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. God bless. Go in the grace of God. Thank you for listening to this week's message from The Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.